three things. Thank you, the gift of fatherhood, and a final request. So first, thank you. You know, it was extremely difficult for me to leave Our Lady of Mercy 12 months ago. It was my first assignment, and it said, and I think it's, it's true that one's a priest, a, a priest's first assignment is, you know, has a special spot in his heart, and being there for three years, I certainly fell in love with the people there, and so therefore it was no surprise for me that I was a mess when I had to leave. With coming to St. Mary's here, knowing that it was likely that I would be here just for one year, and with all the COVID restrictions and, and so forth, I thought, I thought it would be an easy exit for me. But that's not the case. You've made it extremely difficult for me to leave here. And so for that, thank you. Thanks to Father Dindo for his graciousness towards me this past year. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate how oftentimes, not oftentimes, but more times than should be, two priests that are assigned to a parish or live in the rectory, a pastor and associate, how often they maybe don't get along and how, how unfortunate that is and sad that is and how even scandalous that is. But that's certainly not the case with Father Dindo and I. We've become friends this past year. We couldn't be more opposite from one another, to be sure, okay? <laughs> of course, I never had to worry about food when I was here with Father Dindo. He always had plenty of food. He always had different desserts and baked goods that he would bake on the kitchen counter. Last week, for example, I saw on the counter there was this gourmet-looking cannoli with cream-filled and everything. I opened it up. I have quite the sweet tooth and opened it up, took a bite of one, and my teeth would not go through it initially. And so I plowed through it thinking, Father Dino just had an off day here when he, when he baked this and, or that it was just set, let out and has gone stale. So I plowed through it, but I, I couldn't finish the entire thing. But the next day in the sacristy, Father Dindo casually asked, do you know what happened to those three cannoli dog treats? <laughs> so, true story. I, was there. I, I, I will not be missing those dogs. But the, big, the biggest thank you is to you for what you've allowed me to be for you this past year, and that is your spiritual father. John Paul II once said that the central mission and role of a father is to reveal and relive on earth the very fatherhood of God. What a task. What an impossible task. For any father, be a natural father, a father figure, or a priest, to reveal the fatherhood of God here on earth. Because what that is, because it's such a, t a task, what that does to a man is it calls him out of himself. It calls him to greatness. It pushes him out of and breaks him through this pull towards mediocrity, or it ought to. 
But that's what fatherhood does, and that's why it's a gift. Reflecting upon that this last number of days of this past year here of visiting you in the hospital or your loved one, anointing you, absolving you of your sins, burying your loved one, or offering the sacrifice of the Mass of Calvary and the representation on this altar week after week or day after day. It's been such a gift to be your spiritual father this past year. It's often important for a father to share his heart with his children. I've done that, of course, over and over again from this ambo this past year, and hopefully it's always been a reflection of the Heavenly Father's heart. Is that the role of the father is to reveal and relive the fatherhood here on earth, the father here on earth. And so this last time that I have to preach to you, I have one last request, and it's to listen closely to these words of St. Paul that we just heard in our second reading. We heard Paul, we're in 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, we're in chapter five, and we see Paul's heart. In other words, we see the fatherhood of Paul. We see his deep concern as he began the church in Corinth. He, he started there, he, he's visited there two times, and now he's writing it a second time, but he's got a concern because false apostles have come into town. And those Christians of which he planted there in Corinth have begun to hear this false gospel message. And so Paul writes him, and we hear these four verses, of which I want to look at just two of them. Verses 14 and 15 in the fifth chapter here. Paul opens his heart and reveals the secret that drove him to spend the life the way he did. Verse 14 says this, brothers and sisters, the love in Christ impels us once we have come to the conviction that he died for all. Notice the word Paul uses here. Love in Christ impels. Other translations say, say compel or it, it took control of Paul. It's the thing that drives Paul. It urges Paul on. The love of Christ is taking control of Paul's life. Elsewhere in, the, in, in his letters, he says that he's become a slave of Christ. Why or how? Well, he says it's because of when one comes to the conviction of what it is that Christ did, that he died for all. That's the only way Paul was able to put Jesus Christ at the center of his life, is knowing that he went to the cross, that Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus died so Paul didn't have to die, that someone rose and ascended to the the Father and now sits at the right hand of the Father and pleads on his behalf so that he can go home one day. And so this is what has taken Paul captive, he says. And so all, all of us on this day, is, I think, is to listen to Paul's fatherly heart here and to give your life to Christ and to place Christ at the center of your life today in a way that you never have before, to put him first. There are no exceptions. God demands that we put him first in our life. There can be no more halfway, halfway of putting him first, 
halfway, we have too many, our world and our church has too many nominal Catholics, too many nominal Christians. And so if there is room for us this morning, if there is room for us to grow in a conviction of what it is that he did for us, then we make a simple prayer, Lord, compel, help me be compelled by the love of Christ. Convict my heart this morning. Help me to know what it is that you did for me so that I can be urged on and I can move. That I can be controlled by your love and what it is that you did for me. That's a beautiful prayer and it's an important prayer for us to make. Maybe in a moment of silence after this homily or when we receive the Eucharist this morning. Lord, convict my heart the level that my heart needs to be convicted because right now, this morning, it's not that convicted. Convicted for me. That's the key, Paul says. And then in verse 15, the next verse, he says, because he died for all, because Christ died for all, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died. Again, false prophets have come into town in Corinth, and Paul sees and he's worried that those early Christians that he taught the gospel to, they're being deceived, they're being seduced. And so maybe with this, a word to the youth that are here this morning. And we'll say a youth again or anybody who's younger than me. No one is being deceived and and seduced the way that you are today. Seduced away from truth of what is authentic truth. Seduced away from making a decision finally to put Christ at the center of your life. Seduced to believing the path is to put you at the center of your own life. To have your life be about yourself. Paul says that's not the way. Paul says that those that have been convicted by what it is that Jesus did for them, they don't live for themselves any longer. They, they live for him who died for them. And so youth here this morning, hear this. Jesus Christ demands everything of your life. Everything. I think if, you would, if we would hearken to the call of which that he's called you to, the adventure of which that Jesus Christ and his church calls you to, and to know that he demands everything of your life. And for you, from, from me as your spiritual father, to hear this, to not be afraid to say yes to Christ. Don't be afraid to say yes to him. Not a mediocre halfway yes, but a yes that Paul talks about that's got full conviction behind it. And you may need to make that prayer and to say, Lord, convict my heart. Help me to know what it is that you've done for me and convict my heart more and more so I can be compelled by your love. Make that prayer and say yes to Christ. Buck the trend. Buck the trend of which the world and the culture and society is telling you to live for yourself, putting yourself at the center of your life but say yes to him and be obedient to him and his teachings, all of them. Commit your life to him. When you say yes to him, when you say yes to him with all conviction, great things happen in a really profound way. Try him. Try him. 
And lastly, maybe just some reminders for us, for all of us. We have a culture that is on decline, rapidly so. And we have a crisis of heroes. So learn the saints, be a saint, be a hero. This will require for you to get scrappy. This will require for our our families to get scrappy so as to not to live, to walk and talk the way the world does, but to be different. Sacrifice daily so as to not be a bust like Mitch Trubisky. (laughs) Don't drink the Kool-Aid of a false Christianity that is being offered out there because that false Christianity does not lead to life. Remember that you have one that has gone behind enemy lines to rescue you and to carry you to the Father. Don't let your phone keep you from going deeper, but rather fully engage in the battle of prayer. Embrace the process from turning away from sin and vice and growing in holiness by seeking out silence every day. And remember that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, constantly interceding and pleading on your behalf, showing the Father his glorious wounds of which that was inflicted on him for our salvation. Allow the love of Christ to take hold of your life.